This is PT Pro Talk, the podcast for physical therapists who want to improve their clinical skills and be more successful. I am Ariana Parks, physical therapist and your host. In today's episode, I'm joined by Luke Bongiorno to explore the connection between pain and the neuroimmune system. Luke helps us understand the link between nociceptors, immune cells, and the transmission of pain messages. We will also delve into how we can influence the immune response and the role of physical therapists in this process. Luke shares valuable insights on effective patient communication and provides practical strategies and techniques to help patients shift their perspective on pain, moving from a focus on tissue damage to an understanding of the body's protective mechanisms. If you find this topic interesting, please stay tuned and keep listening. Luke Bongiorno, our guest, is a physical therapist who became the director of Neu Group in March 2021, taking over from founders David Butler and Juliet Gore. He co-founded New York Sports Medicine in New York City. With extensive experience in pain management and sports injuries, he works with professional and Olympic athletes and touring performing arts groups. Luke is also a consultant for the NBA League and European professional soccer teams. He emphasizes a hands-on approach, combining menu skills, neuromuscular training, and patient education. An educator himself, he teaches advanced courses in manual therapy since 2004 and has been on the NOI faculty since 2015. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. PT ProTalk is only possible with the support of the forward-looking and innovative companies like Systems for PT, the do-anything, anytime EMR. Systems for PT develops systems for clinics so you can focus on your patients. Go to systemsforpt.com to schedule a demo today. Looking for the highest quality equipment for your clinic? Turn to Fitter First. Our wobble, rocker, and slant boards are all assembled in North America to meet the demands of a busy professional clinic. Designed to adjust in seconds and made from the highest quality materials. Get the best Canadian-made rehab and balance products for your clinic. Order online for your clinic or for your clients. Ground shipping anywhere in North America. Visit fitterone.com. That's F-I-T-T-E-R, the numeral one, dot com. Hi, Luke. Welcome to PT Pro Talk. How are you today? Hi, Mariana. I'm well. Uh, thank you. How are you? I'm well. I'm doing well. Estou bem. <laughs> Estou bem. Eu falo português. No, not really, but <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You can you can play a little bit with Portuguese, so that's yeah, great. Yeah, my favorite place yeah. uh, to teach. <laughs> oh, yay. Awesome. Um, so, look, let's start talking a little bit about yourself and your background. Well, uh, my name is Luke Bongiorno. I'm a physical therapist, a physiotherapist uh, from Australia. I'm actually currently in Australia at the moment. I grew up here and trained here, and I've lived the last 25 years in the U.S. So I'm based in New York, and I have a practice there, uh, and I'm also teaching uh, for, for Neu Group and have recently taken on a director role there over the last couple of years. So I love um, the topic <laughs> that we're talking about, and um, I still love 
I love to teach and I love to practice. So, um, yeah, this is me. <laughs> I grew awesome. up from a large family. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I was reading about that. I am from a large family as well. A oh, really? What number are you? I am number two of us. Uh, we are six. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm number four of nine. So Wow. Yes. So you got a little bit of responsibility <laughs> taker on us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's good to grow in a big family. I think so. I think so too. And it, it teaches you. Um, I, I, I often tell people that when I'm presenting a course or because what it, it does, it teaches you how to play different roles and uh, conflict management, which as a clinician is really useful because we often have to present material in a different way or something that's maybe conflicting with information yeah. for our patients. So you have to learn think, how to live with a lot of people around you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and negotiate and uh, and yeah. be heard and, and listen and be heard. <laughs> have influence. Yes, very true. And also I have to thank David Butler for introducing us and connecting us so you can carry on um, the, the, the knowledge here and share with us. Yeah. Um, I'm, very, I'm very lucky. I mean, I'd like to acknowledge David and who founded Noi Group and he worked a lot with, with Professor Lauren mostly. And I, I consider myself as a clinician very, very fortunate to have spent a lot of time Uh, with these people as well and a lot of the team down in Australia. So it's I'm not a researcher, um, so, so it's really uh, good for me. What a privilege, yeah. huh? Yeah, Very, definitely. Yes, yes. Okay, so our topic, it's a little bit complex between the papers and let's see if you're going to make it simple for us, uh, the neuroimmune uh, system science. So... Let's start talking about why you say that's more appropriate to refer for the nervous to the nervous system as the neuroimmune system. Well, this is a, a topic um, that's really grown over the last maybe 15 to 20 years is neuroimmune science. I remember David Butler introduced it to me 20 years ago, and I, I really didn't know what he was talking about. Um, what I've learned is that. Uh, what we've learned in, in research and, and science is that every uh, neural synapse has cells with immune function. Um, so it, it, I think in the glia, um, the number of immune cells or glial cells uh, in the brain, for example, is like 50 to 1. So there are so many synapses. And this is part of the reason that pain and how we respond to different stimuli is so complex because of the connections um, and the immune connections and how these things communicate. So while we used to have a course, mobilization of the nervous system, we've now changed it to mobilization of the neuroimmune system. And, uh, yeah, and that's a way also I, um, we can communicate to patients is rather than thinking of, just nerves as being their own entity, tying it into an immune response can be a nice way that we can communicate this information. Okay. But can you say that they, how they are connected? You said that like in some neurosynapsis cells, you have uh, 
some cells with immune function, right? So how is that relationship? How, how does that work? Good, good. Um, the, it works by, you know, we, we know that um, we have nerves in our system. When it comes to pain, we think of nociceptors, you know, the transmit messages from the periphery through the dorsal horn, spinal cord, up to the brain. And we have ascending and descending pathways. So now those nociceptors have a cell with an immune function. So say, for example, a glial cell. What happens is when we have um, some sort of threat or, or danger, might be a, a pathogen or a virus, this immune cell is activated and it releases chemicals. Nociceptors are responsive to movement, to thermal stimuli, and to chemical irritation. So what it does is when the immune cell is active, it triggers that nociceptive to send more messages up to the dorsal horn and spinal cord. So essentially what's happening is it's creating hypersensitivity and that can signal to ultimately resulting in the, the perception of pain with or without tissue damage. Yeah. Okay. And that's the role of the immune system in pain? Yeah, that's part of the role. It's, it's a highly complex, and I don't understand it as much as I, I probably should even. Um, however, that's part of the role. Um, and what happens is uh, this becomes we, – we have immune cells not only in the periphery but also in the spinal cord uh, and in the brain. Uh, many are located in the, the hippocampus, for example, and the amygdala. So that makes sense. If you touch, you know, a hot stove, you you have cells in your memory. Ah, don't touch hot stove, you know. Or if you and then if you think about someone in pain, ah, oh, last time I walked, I had a lot of pain. So walking might gut you know, send their immune system to become more active. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. does make sense. Okay, and how? Can we, can we influence that immune response? We can. I mean, you can't think your way out of pain. Sometimes we think, all right, it's mind over matter. And I have this issue with, with patients. We think of pain as two things, a physical, something is wrong in the joint. But zooming out and looking at the big picture and saying, right, pain is a defensive response. Sometimes I say pain is a defender, not an offender. So again, this is a simplistic way of, of viewing it. However, when we're communicating to patients, we can't get bogged down in the science. And even as clinicians, you know, we can drive ourselves yeah, into an anxious state if we try and understand every little bit of the complexity. However, just moving the patient's understanding or shifting our own understanding from pain equals there must be damage in the tissue, for example, with elbow pain, to aha, I see that I had a fracture in my elbow six months ago. There are going to be cells there that are serving to protect me if I extend my arm or move my arm too much, for example. So essentially our goal or the target concept for our patients is to shift their attention from there's something wrong here, my elbow hasn't healed, to 
ah, okay, I may have some issues there in the tissues. However, why I'm finding it hard to extend my elbow is because of a more complex series of events involving my immune system. It's there to protect me. It's there to help me because I had an issue there in the past. It's based on what we think and believe, our past experience. It may not be just with the current injury, but it might be something might have happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And we still have those cells locked in there in the brain. Yeah, so far, like, let's say for us as PT, what's relevant is understand the, the, the process and know how to effectively communicate and educate the patients. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, I think traditionally, uh, you know, a lot of, again, the work by, by David Butler and, and Mosley has sort of been in, in contention over recent years because we think of Explain Pain, which was the original book, as us as therapists telling to the patient, um, you know, this is how pain works. Now, that can be very confronting for a patient and it can actually lead to some negative outcomes. You know, if a patient doesn't feel heard, they don't feel understood. This is more about, as a clinician, I think it's our responsibility to understand a little bit more about it, a little bit more about this is a um, a complex, pain is a complex series of events that does involve the immune system. And then we can communicate, we can, can choose the words to use, and we can also adjust our responses as a clinician so that we can communicate, as you said, effectively to the patients. We don't want to sort of, we want to enhance our therapeutic alliance. We don't want to break it. And sometimes if we're sort of telling them about their pain, that can actually create less effective communication and often less um, optimal outcomes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And like as we were talking before about the immune system, is that anything that we need to know, like that's going to change our approaches with the patients, like in our day-to-day -day clinic? Because it's a lot of like complex theory, right? And like I'm just trying to translate to practice, like why, yeah. what are the things that you, we should be looking at and that we should know about that? Okay, well, first of all, starts by, you know, in a clinical setting, Uh, I, I do get asked this question quite a lot. And again, you know, I would recommend some, some resources for clinicians to, to educate yourselves. There are, there's another great profession who I didn't acknowledge earlier, Professor Mark Hutchinson from the University of South Australia. Um, he, he is a really uh, passionate and great presenter. He's got a lot of just videos and uh, he's uh, written some, some papers. But I would... I would encourage clinicians to take that leap of faith and just like learn a little bit more about it. At the same time, like in practice, this can be presented even without knowing all the complexities of it. And I've been studying it for 10, 15, 20 years, and I still don't fully understand. What I would say, though, is in the clinic, just knowing that there's a link between your immune system and your immune health and pain 
can be enough to present this idea to patients. Do you feel that when you have pain, you're doing damage or do you feel that you're guarding it or protecting it or is it a little bit of both? So I give them three options. So you're actually then inviting the patient to think, huh, yeah, it hurts, but I don't think I'm doing damage. I think it's just, it's just pain. And I say, do you notice yourself protecting it? Because I notice your arm is, is like this, you're holding it. Oh, yeah, I do that all the time because I don't want to hurt myself. It's become a habit, particularly in cases of persistent pain. So this is where I can introduce the concept. While we do know there is a link, this doesn't mean you're making it up. This is there are cells set out there to protect you, immune cells, that that create movements, that create protective responses, that happen without you even realizing it. Ah. You know, I do notice that. It, it's a way to invite them in that then you'll hear the patient then might come up, you, their story will evolve uh, and they might come out with other, other things. Oh, yeah, I noticed that. I noticed my neck gets tight and I then maybe you can look at that in an objective assessment and you can look at range of motion and when they do, say, for example, some slow breathing, something to reduce their upregulated sympathetic guarded state. Ah, just doing that, I feel like I have more movement. You haven't touched the shoulder. You haven't manipulated it. You've just allowed them to sort of downregulate their their system a little bit. And that's how I would do it in practice. That's exactly how I do it in practice. Okay. So I was reading a lot about mindfulness right, that the, the papers are talking about uh, meditation, breathing techniques um, to try to um, calm down and then help with their response. Is that right? Like it's more like a holistic approach? D- definitely, yeah. And, and I like sometimes with, with patients, you know, the word holistic, they think, oh, this is this is like my wife tells me this or, uh, you know, my, you know, it's, it's a little bit abstract for them because when you're, you, I don't know if you've had like a painful experience, I'm sure we all have, but when you're in that state, you don't care about that. You, all you want to do is address the pain. You can't, it's very difficult to see beyond it. I remember myself, I was flying to Australia. I was in Los Angeles And I was about to teach a course, my first course I was teaching in front of David Butler. So I was probably a little bit nervous myself. This is maybe five years ago, a bit more. And I remember feeling this searing back pain. And in my head, I thought, wait, this has got to be, there's got to be some, someone said something about a disc. I'm like, wait, what if, what if this neuroimmune stuff is just all wrong? What if they've got it wrong? Uh, (laughs) You know, I could be like speaking rubbish to these people and all I wanted at that point was an MRI and an epidural, you know, and I'm, and then I'm like, Luke, calm down. I could feel it in my state and I'm like, all right, come on, there's enough. Just breathe. And I remember that moment because it gave me a renewed understanding of what patients are going for uh, through. And if someone said, Luke, breathe, you know, or Luke, just relax, 
It's like when you're anxious, the last thing you want to hear is relax. I am relaxed. I'm dr- <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. You're not listening. You're not hearing. And that's really important, really important because that's how we can connect to the patient. And I'll sometimes I'll say, look, I'm not going to tell you you need to go meditate or you need to breathe. It's like trying to get someone to change religion. You invite them. If they're open to it, go for it. Otherwise, say, look, I'm going to try a technique right now that might help to downregulate your nervous system just temporarily. Are you okay with that? You ask permission. Sometimes they say, of course. I said, are you sure? Okay. So what that means is then in a treatment session, while I'm with them, I'm not going to try and change their behavior yet, but I might say, right, I'm going to give you a very specific task, breathing in, hold it, breathing out. And I'll usually, I'll get my iPhone out with a timer and I'll say, right, we're going to breathe at five breaths a minute and do it as part of my assessment. So that way it's a less confronting thing for the patient. You're not going to make them feel bad or shame them that they need to relax. They might have a lot of stresses that haven't even come out in the, you know, they might be going through something, uh, relationship difficulties, issues with their children, whatever it might be. But if you can start by just introducing that and giving them that experience, then asking them, how does that feel? Oh, yeah, I feel, I feel more relaxed. And when you touch them, oh, I feel that's actually less sensitive. I said, great. That suggests to me that part of your system is now, you know, under feeling guarded and we've, we've got a strategy now. When you have that experience and when you have that pain, doesn't mean we're not gonna we're not we're not gonna ignore your shoulder or your knee or your elbow, your back, wherever the pain is. We're not ignoring that. But we can get more reliable information if the rest of you is slightly in a calmer state. Does that make sense? Yes, and it's great that you can show they can see the results right there, like, okay, I'm breathing. And now I, I can do this movement better. So like there is some of it that could be related to this state and they might, you know, start doing by themselves. That's the goal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and there are other ways to do it in practice. You know, you asked me, how do I do this in the clinic? And while, again, we're talking about the neuroimmune system, you know, don't forget the fact that that can be a very foreign concept. For patients and just showing them maybe an anatomical link to start with. Often they understand things better mechanically. So I might show them a picture of the, the psoas muscle. You know, I, used to, I was mentioning earlier, I taught trigger point courses, many, many in Brazil. Punta gachillo. Um, <laughs> corozelo, cotubelo, like all the body parts I learned in, in Portuguese. Look at you, you're good. <laughs> However, but what, what, what was interesting to me is seeing the picture, seeing that their hip muscle, their, their psoas muscle connects to their spine can help shift their concept to, ah, oh, I thought the issue was in my back to that muscle is helping protect me. And you can go a little deeper if they're able to do that. But I'll show them a visual image of the hip flexor and then how it interdigitates to the diaphragm. So they see a physical connection. It can help them 
be reassured, okay, now I have something to visualize when I take a deep breath so that they're not just, you know, breathing up. I'm like, all right, let's feel this. And you're giving them that, that's mindfulness. It's, it's breathing. And that's a way we can really tap into our immune systems uh, yeah. a little bit more or, or the, the, the behavior of how the, our immune system reacts and responds. And other than these techniques that you just mentioned, is there anything like a more, uh, more like therapeutic, not therapeutic, that's not the word, like more manual? Is there any technique or exercise, anything more specific that you also use, more like PT specific? Yeah, yeah, a lot. I'm still, I would still consider myself very much a manual therapist and, and exercise. So, Another challenge I think clinicians have, myself included, is that, you know, when you go to these talks and I hear all these really smart people talking about the neuroimmune system and the brain and the dorsal horn, it can be a little overwhelming for me. I think, oh, maybe I'm, I'm doing something wrong or I shouldn't be touching the patients. It's all in the brain. That's not, that's not useful. That, that therapeutic touch specifically can be a really safe and valuable input for the patient. What I will do, though, when I'm doing manual therapy is not just focus on the part that's in pain. I'll get them to become aware of other areas of their body that might be sensitive. Of course, you know, asking permission first, but helping them say, oh, I didn't realize I was tight there. Or they might say, yeah, I do get pain in my leg, but I thought it was a separate issue. I said, well, what happens when you go to protect yourself? What does your body do? And I might get them to see the movement and they'll say like that or they'll move their leg at the same time. I said, this happens automatically. Show them a picture that might be confronting and you'll see the body move. I said, that involves hundreds, you know, hundreds, uh, many, many muscles, but literally hundreds of thousands of millions of synapses based on threat, based on it's like an immune response. And everybody responds differently. Yeah. And then you get to work in other parts to try to help relax their body, get them moving yeah, yeah. better. You, you help relax their body. You also help to increase their body awareness. So one other thing we've learned, and, and there's a great David Butler video on uh, homuncular smudging. We think of the, the maps of our body and our brain each uh, the, the brain-bound body maps. Uh, so, for example, when we have pain or persistent pain, these maps become disrupted. So a certain body part represented in the brain becomes bigger or smaller. It doesn't, the part of the brain doesn't enlarge, but the immune cell activity around that area becomes more active. So that can do two things. Number one, the our perception of where the body is is altered, okay, the, the, where the body part is, and, and even to, to the point of our centre of gravity is moved. If we've always had right side of pain, we might shift, reject that side and trust more the other side so our sense of balance is a little off. Um, and then the other part is we're not getting necessarily reliable information. And you can test that in the clinic uh, doing things like two-point discrimination. So getting some calipers and putting, uh, you know, do you feel one part or two parts? 
and you might test one side compared with the other. And people, oh, I didn't realise. Yeah, that's weird. They'll say oftentimes when someone's uh, feeling something from the first time, it might say, oh, that's weird. I said, well, the good news is that's 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 not weird for me. That That makes sense to me. However, of course it's different but it's giving us a reason why you've been suffering for a long time. So that suggests to me that I'm missing something or we're missing something in the medical community. And my job is to help you find it and help you figure it out. So it's a lovely way to help to show the patient that you're paying attention. And at the same time, they are paying attention to their own body in a way that maybe they haven't for a long time. Mm-hmm. And by increasing their body awareness, their locations that they feel pain, that helps to calm down their system? Is that the, the mechanism? Or Yes, one, one way is to calming the nervous system because then what's happening, instead of just getting nociceptive information from that body part, you're getting other sensory information. So you're changing the input. It's like, think about it like this. If someone... You know, if someone, if someone hits themselves, what might you do? If you hit your shoulder, you immediately put your hand over that area. So you're changing the inputs to change the output. When you change input, you change output. That's visual cues. Okay, visual information is really influential in, in pain when we see something. Um, just seeing a, a foot can be enough if someone has CRPS to create pain in the foot without them even moving it. So, and when we, tactile information. So changing the input can change the output. And that's what you're doing or that's what's happening uh, when we do manual therapy. You know, I, I learned manual therapy as, you know, specific techniques. We now know it's not probably exactly I'm moving C3 on C4, but you're providing alternate input. Uh, and if that's perceived as being safe uh, and consensual with the, the patient, then it can have a, a positive outcome, even just temporary in that moment. Yeah. And, and how about exercise? Does it play a role on that as well? Huge, a huge role. We, we also know that nociceptors are responsive to movement and a, a huge thing with our patients is fear of movement. And therefore, changing the way we move. I had a patient yesterday and he said, oh, every time I do this, it hurts. Now, he did have an infection in his sternoclavicular joint. He, had a, he was put on antibiotics. So this is a direct link with the immune system. People can rec- relate to things. Oh, when, when I've got the flu, I hurt more. So again, tying it, bringing it back to our topic of, of the neuroimmune system, um, People can uh, relate to, all right, I thought there was something structural in my shoulder, but I realized that there's some inflammation going on. The immune system also creates inflammation. So that's another word that we can use. And I would get, you know, if I asked him, move your shoulder, because he's relating shoulder to being painful, he has a challenging time where he feels pain with that movement. If I had him then rotate his, we can't really see it, but if I had him rotate his body to the, to the right, instead of moving his shoulder to the left, 
over rotate the left side of your body to the right. And he said, "Ah, oh, yeah, I see. I said, we're, we're hijacking the system a little bit, <laughs> meaning that yeah. the position is the same, but the way we've gone about moving is different. So we can use movement and therapeutic exercise in a way to help give that joint a sense of safety in movement. I'll say I'll, I'll give them the, the analogy of oh, imagining that instead of moving your shoulder on the body, think of moving the body on your shoulder mm-hmm. or starting from the feet. If we, uh, if we move and start to bring our attention or awareness of focus away from the part where they feel pain, often they can move more freely. Because the patient will be like, well, when I, have, when I don't have pain, then I can move. Mm-hmm. And explain pain or looking at it this way is, well, let's try and let's see how we can move a little bit differently. Yeah. So you don't move directly that part, but you're moving indirectly. Yeah, you're indirectly. Yeah. 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 And, and the word Very manipulate smart. means it's to move. You know, we're moving something and we're moving in a different way. And then the extension of that is then, helping them to feel safe to move when they're not with you. And you say, right, well, let's, let's give up some strategies. And that's where the education piece comes in. And I might ask the patient, you know, get them with a pen. I say, right, can you write down the cues that worked for you? So instead of, so, so if you think about an exercise, instead of saying squat down to do a, a squat, I might say, Try and reach your arms forward, bring your buttock back or use an external attention of focus, meaning um, push your feet into the ground. So I'm getting them to become aware of their feet. It's giving them stability, grounding. Can you see how we're just giving different cues and that can allow them, that can often help them to move in a more comfortable and pain-free manner. And, And look, many therapists probably already do this but you can think about it is you're providing different input and you're reducing perhaps the threat value of the movement and changing cortical activity at the same time. That's so crazy to think about that, like words as input as well. Like you're Absolutely. Like it's auditory yes. input and it's, words are incredibly powerful. Think about how many patients said, the doctor told me never to bend. So even thinking of bending is already going to put their system on guard. It's bone on bone. They, they remember these words, particularly if a doctor or someone of influence has said that to them. And, and that how we can, can create, use that to change the yeah. negative experience. You can use positive words to make their experience better more absolutely yeah my dad used to say turn your scar into a star like we can make it positive but but we know that there's actually words can be inflammatory you know in english we there's an expression you know that those words were inflammatory well there there was an an interesting study done on social evaluative threat meaning that when someone was Uh, shamed in front of a a lot of people, if they measured their pro-inflammatory cytokines, their interleukin-10, their prostaglandins at that moment, you would see an elevation or an increase. So when we feel under threat, we have 
increased levels of inflammation. Words are very powerful. Like you are thinking about your presentation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Even like you, like you that have all the knowledge and like it's something that we just experiment. It doesn't, it yeah, doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, I'm a human it's being. Like, I'm not immune yes. from this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am <have> Yes. <laughs> Yes, I was I was reading that paper. It's crazy, like how they could measure that if you are like under social stress tension. Yeah, uh, and there was another one I think I sent you in terms of um, when uh, they had a group of people that were in a mock mission, and when that mission failed, compared with the, when that mission was a success, their inflammatory markers went up. So that suggests in the clinical setting. If we set ourselves up, set our patients up to do something that they might fail at, that can actually have an inflammatory effect. So the importance of little wins, getting them to move, getting them to see little progress, little changes can make massive differences. And, I, and that's and how we try them. to practice. What's that? And acknowledge them. Like, you know, if of they course. give them little wins and... Just and they might them. say, oh, that's nothing. They might say, oh, that's nothing. I said, well, to you it might be nothing. But to, to those little cells in your elbow, that's everything. They've just had a little win. They feel like a part of your team again. So I, I frame it. I said, and, I, and then I'll say, look, I understand. This is nowhere near what you're capable of. But we need to break out of this pattern, this learned pattern of behavior and this learned doesn't mean there's, we're not addressing the tissues or there's something wrong with an injury, but we're at least getting your body to work in a more optimal and efficient manner with a positive spin. <laughs> yeah. And so like treatment-wise, we just talked a lot about exercise, manual therapy, education, breathing, mindfulness, like the, the, the words that we use, all of that. Anything else? that we, we haven't talked about treatment, something that you use that you think it's important to talk about? Well, I think um, education. Um, I think, uh, you know, increasing knowledge or having the patient understand it. So it's one thing to give them the manual therapy or the exercise, but often that's a, you're still prescribing this to me. You're doing it to me. Whereas if you can give them that inherent knowledge um, and say, right, I'm giving it, and they say, oh, wow, I feel much better. I said, well, just think of it as a gift. Now practice that gift and make it better so that next time I see you, you can, you can do more things. Use it now. Be creative with it. So I, I get them to enhance that experience. I'm not really doing anything much different from you know, what we traditionally think of as, as physiotherapy or, or physical therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but the idea is then to give them, you know, bring it back to their goals and, and pace as well. Because also, too, the other, the other side is when they start to feel better, then, oh, well, now I can, now I've got permission to move. And then their muscles, their joints aren't used to it. And then everything tightens up or they get inflammation, they have latent pain. And then, they're blocked again. And uh, again, it goes back to the way of thinking, I overworked, I overpushed, I overdid it. So checking in with a patient afterward or 
having them pace. Pace don't race. All right, I know it feels good now. At the same time, you've told me in the past that you have pain afterwards. So I want to make sure that we keep you on the right track. So setting boundaries for the patients, staying positive and giving them a clear path. We don't have to get all this done today. Mm-hmm. Educate them on a gradual progression. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. If exercise were a pill, it would be the most uh, lucrative pill in the world. Like just exercise is really useful. However, if we message exercising in a non-helpful way, it doesn't help our patients, meaning that if it's a threat for them or if they've had in the past their prediction is every time I exercise I get worse, then even using the word exercise can be mm-hmm. inflammatory. Yeah, very interesting. In in going off topic, how about music? I saw that you sent me something. <laughs> I love you have any- music. Music yeah. is a passion of mine. Well, music has been studied a lot in the last 20 years. Music, I, I use that in practice. So, you know, when we hear a song, you're changing the input again. You're changing auditory input. If it's an old song that they loved, you're also getting them, them you know, you're changing, uh, having physiological responses. You're changing mood. We know that there's a link between, you know, the, our thoughts and our emotions and immune health in the gut or sensitivity. You know, when we're in a ramped up sympathetic state, our blood moves to the muscles and moves away from our gut. When we're in a calmer state, we get better blood flow to the gut. So there's also links there, which we don't have time to to go over everything, but music can be a really powerful way to help someone calm their nervous system down and even to move. If we think about what happens when we hear a, a song that's upbeat that we love, we have we we want to move to it. Our body wants to move to it, um, and incorporating dance and music into our treatments can be really powerful uh, and effective. And I treat musicians, and musicians have a musicians have an easier time understanding. Making small changes can change an entire mood of a piece. You know, if you're a musician and you understand scales, for example. There isn't that much difference in the tonality between a happier sounding piece and a sadder sounding or melancholic sounding piece. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And just a quick question. Uh, That's my passion last- subject. Yeah, I could go on forever I, with that. But. <laughs> yeah, I was just so, I thought it was so, so interesting how we can change those things with music as well. So yeah. I just um, thought about asking. Just one quick question before we go to the final questions. Um, when you have that inflammation face, is there anything in particular that you recommend on your have that inflammatory stage? Well, I think it's, it's important to realize that that just happens. We can't think our way out of that inflammatory state. We can say, oh, just, it's not mind over matter. It, it's literally we, we have to view it as a process rather than as something bad. We have to say, right, now I can do some breathing. When I do the deep breathing and I visualize it, that can help. It's giving them a strategy that they can use to help then. It's very normal. It's a normal reaction. You go into pro-inflammatory and then anti-inflammatory. That's what happens. That's healing. So then allowing themselves to get into that anti-inflammatory state. And then proactively, I think I, I might have sent you a paper on, you know, when people that do um, 
mindfulness. There was one study with mindfulness, breathing, and uh, cold immersion. Cold, so greater yes. exposure to stress <laughs> helps people recognize stress and respond to stress in a better way so that if they're exposed to, say, a virus or a, an adverse situation, their body can create an innate immune response and then settle down very quickly. So doing some um, immune-boosting behaviours proactively can be a way through this as well. I saw a documentary one time. I think it's the Iceman. I don't remember the oh, name. Oh, yeah, Wim Hof, yeah. <laughs> yes, very interesting. Is that related to the exposure to cold that we, you're no, mentioning? A bit, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there, there, his, being, his work is being studied too, so there are more sort of good high-level evidence as well. Yeah. But you just got to be a little bit careful. That just doesn't mean you should go out in the cold. And... <laughs> Jump on the freezing yeah. lake. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, Luke, uh, anything else before we transition to our final questions? No, I'm, I'm open, yeah. I would encourage you to – there's a lot out on, on YouTube on this. Um, you know, Noi Group where we, we – you know, obviously I, I, I'm with Noi Group, but we have – uh, you know, resources. I would encourage people to to learn more um, a little bit. And there's a lot of often free things on YouTube as well as, you know, books and, and things as well. That was going to be my first question, resource right. you recommend. So going to YouTube, going to the Noi Group website, anything else? Yeah. yeah. Um, there's, a, there's another book I liked. It's not Noi Group. It's, uh, you know, why do... Uh, what's it called again? I forgot the name. Mental blank. Why do zebras? Why don't zebras have ulcers? You know, because it's it talks about the the anxiety around pain. Um, you know, and thinking of people don't want to say oh, I'm, I'm anxious, but it's it just means anxiety is just a lot of disorganized neural activity, and you know, just you know that was a, that was a good book, but um, you know. It, Explain Pain, there's a new book for clinicians we have out called Bodily Relearning, which talks a lot about the neuroimmune piece in a very practical way with a lot of pictures. Um, so I know I'm plugging another Noi Group publication, but that's another new book that's come out and written by Ben Boyd, who's a clinician in the US as well. So Very good. And last question, in advice to clinicians that are starting their careers? Try it, okay? Be open-minded. Um, we are asking our patients to listen to us. We are asking our patients to challenge the way they think about their pain. So I encourage every clinician to not, not move away from it when you're confronted with a challenge from a patient. You know, engage in dialogue with them. Don't just jump in and try and tell them this is what, is wrong with you. Step, step back, literally, physically, and just listen to their words. Nothing that they say is irrelevant. Our job is to learn more and to help work with the patient to get them feeling comfortable and give them the best opportunity to, to move more. So, um, yeah, have be creative and have fun. Everyone's going to be a little different. I've got a different approach to someone else, but but just, you know, really – Go for it. Have the courage and uh, you'll be amazed. <laughs> and try, try to understand what they are really trying to say with what they are saying, right? I beg your pardon? Try to really understand what they are saying, uh, mm. what they are really saying with the words that they are using. 
Yes, so like why they're that's communicating. To, yes, what because there's the verbal and then and I often ask them. I ask a follow-up question. What do you mean by that? I know what it means to me. What does it mean to you? We might have different definitions, particularly if there's a language barrier. Yeah. Um, Luke, if anyone wants to learn more about you and your work, how they can find you? Um, you can find me at the uh, Noi Group. You can send a, a, an email, um, Luke at Noi Group. Sometimes I'm a little bit delayed at that, but uh, you can always go to headquarters and they can, they can track me down. Um, yeah, but please, I'm, I'm very, uh, I, I love helping, um, clinicians understand this more. The more we can practice it, the better we can create a shift in the understanding of pain in the greater community. Absolutely. That's the goal of the podcast. Yep. So Perfect. hopefully I'm reaching more PTs. Excellent. Um, well, thank you very much, Mariana. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to come here and, and share all this information with us. Great. Thank you. That's all for today's episode of PT Pro Talk. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you can be notified when we release future episodes. You can also join our email list to receive updates and new episodes at ptprotalk.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a rating or review and share with other clinicians you think might benefit from this conversation. We are always working to deliver you a better show and would love to hear your thoughts. If you have a moment, please help us by answering a quick survey and let us know what topics and people you'd like to hear, things you like about the show, and how we can improve. Thank you all of you who have already responded to the survey. It is very helpful. Also, on the show notes, you can find the guest's contact information and favorite resources, links for the survey, our social media, YouTube channel, where you can watch the whole episode, and our website, where you can find more information about the podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time...